0: Since 2013, Brazil has lived under continuous political turmoil. First, a wave of protests swept the country, showing the political establishment just how much Brazilians wanted change. In the following year, the Federal Police launched Operation Car Wash, which evolved into the largest anti-corruption investigation in Brazilian history, and has tarnished the reputations of all major parties. The political scenario was ideal for change, some analysts predicted a couple of years ago. But we have seen the opposite of that. Congress changed the rules in order to favor big parties and establishment candidates in the elections. And we should expect one of the lowest levels of renewal this upcoming election. One of the side effects of that is a general lack of faith in Brazilian institutions. As we have published in the Brazilian report weeks ago, Brazilians live in an era of mistrust. We don't trust the government, we don't trust companies, heck, we don't even trust one another. So. As Brazilians head to the polls in two and a half weeks, we've got to ask, what's the state of the Brazilian democracy? My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, and this is Explaining Brazil. With me in our studios in São Paulo is Diogo Rodrigues. Hello, Diogo. Hello, Gustavo. And joining us over the phone is Felipe Campanti, a Bloomberg Distinguished Associate Professor at Johns Hopkins University. Professor, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Professor, you co-wrote an article published by U. Globo newspaper on September 11th saying, and I quote, Brazil's political elite is playing with fire and putting democracy at a great risk. Uh, what risk are you talking about?
1: Well, I think uh, uh, it's a risk that until very recently seemed to be, you know, a thing of the past in Brazil. And it's a risk that we will, could have, you know, like an a institutional breakdown and a breakdown of democracy that we could actually have, you know, an old school uh, a coup, I think, is in the cards, uh, uh, you know, within a range of, uh, you know, many, many possibilities of institutional disruption that you know once again uh, if you had, if you had asked me like you know, five or six years ago I would have you know thought were completely out of the picture completely irrelevant for thinking about uh, uh, the Brazilian political system but now I'm afraid that we're back to the days where you know thinking and, and speculating about what uh, uh, you know military officers think of the order of the day
2: and uh, how much of that is, is the responsibility of the rise of the far right in Brazil? Would you say that that's a main factor?
1: Well, I'd say the, the rise of the far right is a symptom more than uh, you know, sort of the cause of that, uh, of that instability. I think the fault for, for that dismal scenario that, that, that we see outlined in front of us right now is of the political establishment as you were uh, you know, mentioning in the, uh, in the introduction to this podcast, in that it's been very clear that the Brazilian uh, public, the Brazilian citizens, voters are extremely dissatisfied with the performance of the political system, with good reason, you know, with all that has been revealed in terms of the, the inner workings of that system and the degree of corruption and, and sort of the lack of accountability. And as you pointed out as well, you know, what we have seen is actually the establishment uh, uh, just trying to push through and, and, and protect itself and uh, uh, being completely uh, impervious to to sort of uh, any kind of renewal through institutional means. As we point out, Claudio Fehaizen and uh, Rodrigo Suárez, who co wrote that, that opinion piece that you mentioned. So, you know, the candidates that the parties have presented this year, uh, for the most part, are just the same people who have been running for years and years and years, so it's just an illustration at the presidential level. But if you go down to the to the congressional level and even in the states, you see the very, very same thing. So I think the lack, the total absence of a response in terms of offering alternatives within the the, the mainstream of Brazilian politics, has opened the door for you know the frustration to to manifest itself in disenchantment with democracy and that's what has put us in this what I think is is a perilous situation
0: We have now the front runner for the election uh, Mr. Jair Bolsonaro who has multiple times called into question the legitimacy of our electronic voting system and we have his VP nominee uh, which has taken the front seat right now because he's still uh, recovering from a September 6th stabbing Saying that we should change our constitution and not necessarily have uh, a constitution drafted by some by people elected by the Brazilian voters, what risk, in your opinion, this candidacy, which is polling at first, I must remember, represents for Brazilian democracy?
1: I think it's a real risk. Uh, clearly, uh, Bolsonaro is not committed to a, a democracy as. A concept and as a matter of principle, you know one of the things that I find uh, quite remarkable, actually watching and, and sort of following the this electoral cycle from the United States and you know with the experience of having seen the rise of Trump over the last uh, couple of years is how how much of a resemblance there is between uh, bolsonaro and and Trump, both in the sense that the Sort of establishment, the political and the opinion elites were very much taken by surprise and and kept being expecting their candidacies to collapse. But also, and I think to the point that we're raising right now, that they haven't ever tried to fool anyone really in terms of their their vision and their lack of commitment with respect to. Sort of the standard norms uh, of behavior in our respective democracy. So I think, you know, they've been saying loud and clear both Bolsonaro and, you know, his campaign and his vice presidential uh, uh, running mate, and we should believe him. I think that's the that's the bottom line, and, and that clearly indicates a
0: risk. You mentioned Trump, and I want to make a parallel, because in the United States, despite all the negative news cycles surrounding the White House. It seems like the economy is running and they are at full employment and they even have a problem of uh, an overheating of the economy. So um, a lot of Brazilian markets, for instance, financial markets, expect kind of the same thing, that they don't see Mr. Bolsonaro as a threat and that's why he has become, uh, for investors, the better option. How, how do you see uh, that gamble?
1: Well, I think that, the, the and I think it, that goes uh, both for the U.S. and for Brazil, the short-run uh, rhythms of the economy, they are much less, you know, they're not as directly and, and sort of deterministically uh, affected by political developments. So I think what's happened in the U.S. is sort of an erosion of institutional norms and sort of the institutional backbone of the of the American democracy but that's not something that is going to translate into a recession in the next quarter it, it can perfectly well coexist with an economic boom and that's been the case you know my, many 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 times over history in many different countries where we had you know, erosions of democracy coexisting with economic booms right so i don't think there's anything Uh, surprising about that. And so in that sense, the market, uh, if we might keep using that generic uh, uh, label, doesn't really care about this sort of longer term institutional framework. So I don't think there's any paradox in uh, the coexistence of, you know, good economic times and very problematic political development.
2: Professor, do you think that uh, our institutions are strong enough to prevent authoritarian and anti-democratic measures in the case Bolsonaro wins?
1: No, I don't think so. I think, well, let me put it this way. I don't think that it's a sure thing that, uh, you know, democratic backsliding is going to happen and they're going to have a coup. I wouldn't even say that it's the most likely outcome. But I don't see... Uh, sort of the Brazilian democracy in a good position, especially after, you know, five years of fraying and tension, uh, I don't see the Brazilian democracy in a good position to respond to, you know, the kind of tests that I think could be uh, put in front of it. So I think, you know, if you just think about the level of confidence on, like in Congress or in traditional parties or sort of the whole political establishment, It's an extremely, extremely uh, weak, it's a political establishment that lacks any kind of credibility. So I don't think the uh, defenses of the Brazilian democracy right now are in in good shape. So that's what makes me uh, concerned about the next few years. And I think that's something that is... It's a kind of instability that's going to be around for a while. I really don't see it. any any result of this election clarifying and sort of doing away with that with that instability.
0: And how can Brazilian politics be reformed? What are the alternatives, and how uh, do we convince the very people that benefit from the current system to change the system? Yeah,
1: so that is the that is the key challenge, right? That is sort of the the, the catch twenty two, and you know as become very clear that the people who have risen through this system and who have benefited from the system, they are doing everything in their power, you know, across the political and ideological spectrum to, you know, prevent prevent things from changing. So that's something that needs to be taken into account. So it's kind of almost a cliche by now to talk about like political reform, but that doesn't mean that it's, uh, that it's not necessary. And the one thing that I think is sort of the main challenge that we see right now is, well, it's a couple of related challenges. So one is exactly sort of the the, the lack of openness that we see within sort of the mainstream political system, as you pointed out. So there's sort of the way the, the, let's say, campaign financing is structured right now, and this is actually something that uh, has likely gotten worse with the recent reforms uh, 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 in in campaign financing, is how concentrated this is in the hands of the, the sort of political caciques, right? And, and that's something that is very much at the heart of our problem, as well as sort of this idea that is sort of encapsulated in the, 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 the foro privilegiado, right? The special treatment given to, uh, to a whole host of uh, politicians, which, which actually makes, really distorts selection into political positions, right? You have people who are running for office Pretty much with the intent of protecting themselves from from justice, right? So you know things like eliminating uh, uh, the foro privilegiado, kind of reforming campaign uh, finance in a way that I think makes it more responsive to kind of uh, to individual citizens, right? Having something built around individual contributions with uh, strong limits. So all of these are are I think measures that could help, but always going in the direction of I think taking power away from the current cartel that runs Brazilian politics and kind of opening things up for competition. But now as you rightly pointed out that goes against the incentives of the leaders of these uh, cartels, right? To kind of give away their power. So I think we must consider some sort of transition formula, right? As, you know, unfair as it might seem where some sort of protection is given uh, to current politicians, so let's let's say we try to sort of offer some transition formula, let's say away from foro privilegiado, for instance, right, where the congress that is being elected right now uh, has some sort of uh, uh, protection, kind of going into the future. As I said, it's not the the the, the most uh, uh, you know appealing uh, from a from a justice perspective, but we need to do something just to get out of this equilibrium uh, in a way that is. Uh, compatible with democracy and with the continued development of Brazilian institutions. So we do need political reform, kind of in the direction that I've tried to outline here. But trying to make uh, the incentives to align the incentives uh, by providing some sort of, you know, basically by buying off, to be blunt about it, uh, the political, the, the the current political elites, uh, because otherwise I think uh, you know the the risk. Of uh, you know extra institutional uh, you know change of an institutional breakdown, I think you know as as, as big has increased and it's, it will continue to increase.
2: And uh, do you think that after the election, no matter what the result is, is there any possibility of a dialogue of you know at least appeasing the polarization that we have seen in the in the last few years?
1: Well, I certainly hope, I wouldn't say I'm particularly optimistic about it, but I, I hope that, you know, perhaps hope against hope, uh, that there will be sort of the perception of how bad things are getting. And perhaps the, the, the current political establishment could uh, see what's at stake and kind of try to, to kind of find a way out, find a way out of this. Now, I think a, a big problem as far as the the post-election Uh, prospects are concerned is that usually it's easier to get political change going kind of in this more controlled way when the economic times aren't as bad, right? The problem is that in Brazil right now, to sort of make the economic side, to, to turn around the economic side, we need measures that are hard, that are, many of them are politically difficult. And then we're in a bit of a catch-22 where to kind of improve the economic situation right now, I think there's the need for kind of some strong policymaking that becomes particularly hard in the context of a lack of legitimacy and a lack of credibility of the political system. So I think that is a main – that is a a, a very important challenge.
0: Allow me to to interrupt you, but um, we we have seen – In this past couple of days, uh, some actions uh, that show that at least the two major parties, the Workers' Party and the Social Democracy Party, are willing to establish a dialogue, something that has not happened in recent years. For instance, 2014, the very first thing that uh, the Social Democracy did was to challenge the electoral result. And now both parties are admitting to work with one another, we have seen the Workers' Party candidate uh, admitting to the possibility of reforming the pension system, something that the party has spent the last couple of years saying that, well, Brazil didn't need to. So isn't there, uh, or am I being too naive to be optimistic about these gestures?
1: Well, I think these are certainly positive gestures, and I think any way out of the current situation would involve something like that. What I think remains to be seen is whether the current leadership of these parties and, you know, we can bring to the table kind of sort of the other you know, main players of, of sort of Brazilian, uh, the Brazilian political mainstream, if you will, whether they have what it takes to pull that off. Right, because I think the the last few years and all of the uh, the corruption scandals and all of the the, the political instability have uh, really kind of eroded the ability of parties to 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 sort of uh, represent you know voters and and, and kind of respond to uh, what voters want. So I certainly hope that I mean I think these are signs in the in a positive direction, but they they must be made sustainable and they must be made you know, they, they won't be enough if they are not sort of backed by an increased kind of credibility and legitimacy. And it remains to be seen kind of how the current, uh, you know, the parties as they are uh, constituted can deliver that. But again, I definitely agree that to the extent that the political forces that are committed to democracy get together and are willing to Compromise uh, in order to sort of uh, stave off a bigger institutional threat. I think this is this is obviously a uh, uh, you know positive development from that perspective.
0: And we always talk about the problems with the politicians, but what's the role of Brazilian voters, of Brazilian citizens, and all that? Because in 2013 there were there was a wave of protests, and Congress kind of responded to that, but then it faded away. What should we do, how we become ourselves actors and we become ourselves active in this process of holding politicians accountable?
1: Well, uh, one of my main uh, interests in terms of uh, uh, you know, research is exactly sort of the type of political activity, you know, political protest and the like, which are, which are kind of very costly uh, from an individual perspective. It's very hard to coordinate. So it's very hard to sustain that kind of mobilization over time. So the answer has to be, again, sort of uh, 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 at least in large part, in mainstream kind of political participation, you know, just voting, right? And here is where I think a big place to look at are the congressional elections this year, right? So if we see that the same politicians who are, you know, credibly accused, and 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 you know very very sort of clearly involved with uh, corruption and uh, misgovernance, et cetera, et cetera. If these people are reelected, and to be honest, right now I'm I'm pretty pessimistic. I think that a lot of them are going to be reelected. Then that's an indication that we as voters are not doing our part in terms of trying to to renew Brazilian democracy. I mean, this is. There are a lot of structural reasons why, uh, 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 you know, this happens. But I think if you ask me, like, what could voters do? Well, they should, you know, pay attention and try to hold politicians accountable kind of on a day-to-day basis, right? You know, think about who you're going to vote for, try to hold these people accountable. And that's something that I think, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, room uh, for improvement in the Brazilian democracy, right? So, so we need to kind of get out of the cycle where people are disenchanted with democracy. Therefore, they kind of tune out, and they are disengaged, and that just makes uh, uh, you know politicians even less accountable, which kind of feeds off uh, this you know disengagement cycle. We need to to jump out of that uh, of that vicious circle. We need to we need to try to get to a different equilibrium with more engagement, more accountability, and that's uh, what's going to strengthen Brazilian democracy.
2: And uh, since we're talking about lack of engagement, uh, what do you think that this, uh, this apathy of the Brazilian voters, w- what can be the effect of this apathy in this election spe- specifically and in the second round of the election that seems to be uh, well pointing to a pol- polarization between the, P- uh, the Workers' Party and Jair Bolsonaro?
1: I think it can be decisive. I think not only at the presidential level or, or at kind of uh, you know majoritarian elections. So part of that apathy is going to translate, I think, in a worse Congress or in a Congress that is as bad as the the, the current Congress. But it can also affect. You know, very it's very easy to see how this will affect or could potentially affect uh, uh, the outcome of the presidential election. Right. So this idea that you know. Everything's all the same, and like uh, you know, I think there's a lot of people who kind of feel uh, very much unimpressed by all the alternatives that are currently being presented, and to the extent that these people say like, well, you know, then I'm going to disengage that is going to potentially affect the election outcomes. I think this is going to be a very, very big part of uh, what's going to happen here, you know how you know, abstention, how kind of null and, and, and blank votes uh, are going to, you know, shape up. I think this is all going to be like a big part of the story in the, you know, in this election.
0: Well, we'll know the answer in two and a half weeks. Professor, thank you very much for joining us to, for this podcast and thanks for your time. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please take a look at our website. It's Report. Every day we have new content about Brazil's politics, economics and society. We also have exclusive newsletter services if you want to be briefed on what's going on in Brazil before starting your day. Subscribe now to our free trial and enjoy all of our content for 14 days. It's really free and you don't have to put any credit card information before subscribing. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. or handle us at BrazilianReport. That's all for now. See you next week.